0: Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box. Our headlines this hour. The S&P 500 hits a new low for the year as Apple leads broad declines on Wall Street. U.S. markets now looking at their third negative quarter in a row. But Morgan Stanley's CEO, James Gorman, has told CNBC he's not losing sleep quite yet. I'm not seeing
1: panic in that. This is not 87. It's not even 91. It's not the dot-com crash, and it's certainly not the financial crisis. That doesn't mean it can't become one of those, but it's not there yet, and behaviour supports that. UK Prime Minister Liz Truss
0: and Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng prepare for an emergency meeting with the country's fiscal watchdog as Downing Street doubles down on its controversial tax cuts.
2: It was the right decision to take, and we need to continue
3: to make sure we deliver the economic growth, we deliver the jobs and opportunities, and that is the long-term future that we have set out. Official Chinese data points to a recovery in manufacturing, but a private survey indicates the world's second largest economy is still struggling with a sharp slowdown in the services sector. And Germany unveils a 200-billion-euro package aimed at protecting consumers from the spike in energy prices as European energy ministers prepare for an extraordinary summit in Brussels. Yeah, it's been a challenging old week on markets as we've seen uh, the markets roiled by some of the instability and in the currency, the surge in the US dollar yields spiking and then the intervention by the central bank on this side of the world, the Bank of England. Plus, on top of that, still very hawkish messages from the Fed state side not being steered off course to, despite some of this instability. We're now seeing what you've got now on markets, a pullback again in session, fairly sizable one for the tech sector, the Nasdaq down 2.8% and taking with it the S&P as we take a look at those big tech names. To the downside was the likes of Apple. That was one of the big moving stocks. Investors are looking at the trajectory here and whether these sales will stay on course, given we've got all this tightening in monetary policy and where that leaves consumption. This is just one of the stock names, I think, that has stood out this week. Also, Nike, some of the warnings that that stock has had around its earnings profile. McDonald's, the analyst, revisited that one. So all sorts of consumption plays across the board. Investors are now that uh, the pace of hikes is simply uh, too much to not impact consumers at this point so we will see some slowdown and it is uh, one of the stocks too I think that has performed well and this was what jumps out to me over the course of the week. A number of stocks that have been slightly out the market now being revisited by investors saying look we haven't taken a look at this one. Are we wrong with some of the, the optimistic assumptions? There's no room for any downside here and I think that's where you're seeing some of the, the market falls now in this further leg down as we look Look to close out the month i want to take you to treasuries it's been quite a stunning move hasn't it 3.78 is now what we're seeing on that 10-year uh 4.2 is what we've got on the two-year uh, markets are very much pricing in that aggressive pathway as you can see at the short end of the curve jeff
0: Terrific. Karen, thank you. Let's get into some of those comments then uh, around the Federal Reserve moves. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester has told CNBC that interest rates are still not restrictive enough to tackle inflation. Mester says markets stateside have not been as volatile as elsewhere, giving it space to hike interest rates further.
4: We have to be very um diligent about getting inflation down right the confidence of the markets and market participants and the public generally is that the fed is on the job and making sure that we get back to price stability so in some sense right the fact that there's some you know perhaps um the credibility of the institution matters in cases like mm-hmm. this and i think it's very important for people to understand that we're watching and we're doing what we think is the prudent thing to do but we have to get inflation down.
0: Morgan Stanley's James Gorman told CNBC's Fast Money he doesn't see this downturn reflecting previous crises in markets and that the Fed is approaching the end of its hiking cycle.
1: I think it's unlikely that we're going to have a hard landing at this point. Um, I think the Fed will keep pushing. I mean, we're at, we're at uh, a little over 3% now. They'll probably end up at a house call is, you know, 45 4.75%. i am not seeing panic In that. This is not 87, it's not even 91, it's not the dot com crash, and it's certainly not the financial crisis. That doesn't mean it can't become one of those, but it's not there yet, and behaviour supports that.
3: We have terrific charts to show you. You've lived through an extraordinary couple of months on markets. So I want to show you that journey again just to remind you what it looked like in terms of the quarter as we look to close out uh, the three months. Uh, the July August time frame, it was a positive one. Remember over summer when the markets were just gliding higher and we had that confidence, uh, that returned to markets, we stepped up. But then as we got through into uh, the middle of August we then started to fall and that continued much more aggressively throughout the September months. So it has been quite a Journey that we've seen over the course of the quarter that means we're trading down by five percent without those increases at the start we would have been done a lot more than that five percent mark in terms of what september has brought we have dropped about seven and a quarter percent so far on the month of September for the Dow over the course of the year, or off the highs, I should say, over the course of uh, that descent from the record highs down 20%. So we are in bear market territory on the Dow. Let's flip over those boards and we can take a look at the NASDAQ component. Uh, Worth bearing in mind how different this index is versus the Dow. The banks that are, are key constituents on the Dow, of course, energy names that were in decline, but it is tech that dominates the NASDAQ. And the fall over the quarter, you can see just this jagged line up over the course of July and August so very much enjoying that summer rally but then the fade came and you can see over the quarter, there's been a little bit more resilience in this part of the market, 2.6% down versus that 5% you saw off the Dow. But for the, the actual month, that has been a vicious trade. We've pulled back to the tune of uh, more than 9% on the NASDAQ. And as you can see, 1,000 odd points on the index. And behind all this has been the trade on bond markets. There's been a very active trade as investors have been very quick to, to reprice around concerns of an aggressive rate path and the potential that. The slamming on the brakes by the Fed will impact the economy and economic fortunes mixed in this. The geopolitics, too, as we saw the stepped-up aggression by Russia, which has put a dose of uh, safety back into some of the trades. And you can see the yield just steadily uh, dropping off over the course of July and August with that summer rally. So uh, the risk-on moves are just taking away some of the appeal, but then the rally we saw on that yield, 3.78 is how we traveled over the course on that yield now currently, 25% spike over the quarter in terms of the trade. So that is a fairly dramatic move in the safest of safe trades as we talk about Treasuries. I want to take you to sterling. It's where the action has been this week and in fact it's been just one of the the currencies that has been a casualty versus the US dollar. But with that intervention on the gilt side, of course uh, the fiscal policy very much being assessed by markets. This is how we stand over the quarter. It's been a fall of 8.6%. The drop in uh, the sterling trade or drop in the pound trade I should say has been fairly dramatic sterling dollar now 8.6 down on the quarter four percent down for the month and uh, that is a fairly strong move let's get to david snedden who is md investment banking uh, a global head of technical analysis at credit Suisse. david it's been a wild ride on on markets this week just talk us through some of the most stunning trades in your view
1: Hi, ah, yeah, good morning. Um, it, it's certainly been quite a continues to be a dramatic time. I, I think the 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 main focus actually is, is not specific to one one market. We've got significant moves across equities, rates, uh, FX, and I think importantly yesterday as well also inflation, which I think could have significant implications. I, I guess if we just start with equities and you were talking about the tech sector, but just the broader U.S. equity market in general. Um, I, I think what's compelling here for us uh, technically on and on a macro basis is that summer rally, as you were saying, the rally that we. We saw from June through to August. For us, I think the key thing through that rally that sort of really reinforced the fact that we are in this sort of broader downtrend still is it was a very low volume rally. Um, it was capped pretty much exactly at the key technical resistances you would expect it to be capped at. It was capped at its 200-day average. It's capped at its downtrend for the beginning of the year. And I think importantly through that rally, the volume was just really very light. Uh, and we never saw really any improvement in, in volume through through that phase. And then once we rolled over in August, the volume has started to pick up again um, with, with the down move. And, and here we are very quickly back down at the lows for the year. I think for us, we we think the market remains in a downtrend as a house. Our house view remains unattractive on, on equities. Um, clearly, these lows from earlier in the year are, are proving a little bit sticky. Um, and it's also the location of some long-term technical support. The 200-week the average, the very long-term average for the S&P comes in here as well, around 3590. So maybe we do get a little bit more sticky sort of sort of holding in here in the near term. But with Q3 earnings coming up, our view is that we will take this 3600. 3590 support level out and we think the market will continue further down and uh, we have levels we're looking at around 34 35 sorry 34 94 3500 as our next area that's essentially the the q1 2020 pre-pandemic high so it'll be very interesting to see how the market does with that but overall we actually think the risk for the s&p is we actually get down towards the sort of the low 3200 area which on a, on a long-term basis is a key technical retracement level i mean really the whole of the, the rally in the s&p from the 2009 GFC low but overall we still think a fairly negative um, unattractive uh, state for for the equity market.
0: Um, David can I ask you a couple of questions in one really one is um, just to get you to focus on the 10-year treasury yield and and give us a sense of where you think we may start topping out here and the other is if you could just mention in passing the seasonals because I know a lot of technical analyst friends of mine are are talking about actually we should be getting towards the end of the traditional week period for risk on. I wonder if you agree with that and also give us your line
1: on where we are on 10-year yields. Sure. I think the for us on 10-year yields, we've maintained actually on a sort of three to six-month basis, a longer-term basis, actually a more of a neutral view on, on treasuries and on duration. Um, and in the near term, we've actually been looking for this this sell-off in treasuries to actually start to sort of stall um, and, and for some type of peak to be established. And I think what's been key for that for us, and um, what we're watching very closely, is actually the inflation break-even picture. Um, and the inflation break-even story has been a key narrative, you know, for inflation itself for, for markets all year. And clearly, markets in the first half of this year were dominated by, you know, rising, very strongly rising, Rising inflation, strongly rising inflation break evens, and, and the, the rate hikes to go along with that. I think what's been really significant over the last um, few months is inflation break evens peaked earlier on this year. They've been declining, and but if you look at the ten-year US inflation and break chart, that I think is is doing something very significant. And I think it's a very important uh, chart and market to watch. What we're doing is here we're, we're breaking down some really significant support levels. We at, we actually think that's putting in a top for inflation break evens on a technical basis, and then inflation break evens will actually fall further. Uh, and that, though, is very important on several factors, certainly for the Treasury market. Um, I think it probably adds to the view that we're getting close to a peak. I think inflation break-evens falling are more in line with Treasury's putting in, in, in a peak in yields in here. Maybe there's not huge downside for, for yields, but certainly I think it makes the upside for yields more tricky. And we're doing that at the same time of 10-year U.S. bonds have been to 4%, um, and there's a lot of technical support levels from 4% to 4.25, 4.27. And you've seen a clear sort of non-confirmation of momentum into these highs as well. So our view would actually be not to, to chase the yields higher in here and actually probably look for yields to come lower in, in the near term on a tactical basis with that inflation break-even story probably the, the real sort of – one of the real drivers of that. Then stepping aside from that with the inflation break-even story – you kind of initially think well isn't that a good thing if inflation break-evens are, are coming off and i think our view is it's actually not particularly good for risk assets still. and um, We think seasonally still, it, it, it's not actually in a, in a particularly sort of good setup for risk assets. We think this inflation break-even turndown is more about the growth and recession fears and that growing. And if you look at the correlation that we've pretty much had between S&P 500 and inflation break-evens, really from 2020, from the beginning of 2020, it's been, apart from a brief period at the beginning of this year, it's been a pretty positively correlated sort of setup. So we think inflation break is coming down is actually still, it's going to be to a negative and a headwind for equity markets.
3: David, I want to pivot to the dollar. We've had all sorts of commentary in recent days about the casualties. Pound was clearly one of them, but there's a lot of conversation at G7 and some of the other trades are now just effectively looking like emerging market currencies versus the dollar, which has stepped up by about 7% in the quarter. Where to from here?
1: I still think higher. We still we still have a bullish view on the dollar from a technical basis. I mean, we've clearly been in an extremely strong dollar environment from the beginning of 2021. It's been a pretty much near vertical line higher. Um, it's definitely overstretched. There's no two ways about it. If you look at um, where we are in terms of the way we look at the dollar in terms of its typical extreme, it's it, it's at those upper extremes. But for us, I think the key thing was earlier on this year for the dollar, we broke out higher from a 5 year sideways range uh, and that suggests you know that you know was really reinforcing the existing sort of uptrend that we had we think there's more to go on that uptrend so we we think it's still too early to get out of the dollar uptrend so when we're looking at euro dollar we still think we can go down to 9330 maybe 90 and um, when we look at the dxy we we actually think you've got a chance you can get up to the 2001 high which is around 121 so I think it, it's, it needs careful navigation because we are definitely in this sort of overstretched region. Um, but I think overall, if we do see pullbacks, we still think they are something to, to sort of that will be corrective and temporary. Um, and I think the risk is higher. For sterling, I think that there's a double impact in here. It's, you've got clearly for cable the dollar side of the story. But if you look at sterling itself, clearly it's come under a lot of pressure. We're actually watching, watching sterling in trade-weighted terms here, which is sitting on some really huge long-term support stretching back to the early 1990s, which is still holding the moment our view though is that this rebound that we've seen in Sterling over the last week is temporary uh, it's probably likely capped at the 114 115 area and we still think we'll we'll see a stress test of parity in cable then i think it's going to be a, a, a very interesting situation at parity where we think you, you clearly are likely to see some more concerted defense
0: david can i just ask you a broader question about um overall sentiment as you see it in markets at the moment i think what what's been um interesting is is james gorman um doing his comparisons and i don't know whether you heard that clip at the top of the show mm, but did, yes. he, he was saying you know this is this is not the dot-com bubble this is not the 87 meltdown this doesn't look like other meltdowns that we've seen every mm. time the fed has embarked on an interest rate hiking cycle but what's been notable about this one is they've gone harder and faster than any of those previous crises that they created by hiking interest rates is this going to be one of those markets where we don't maybe have that moment of crisis, but we have several smaller mini crises, if you like, death by a thousand cuts for those who are holding on to risk on positions at the moment, um, which means that a lot of people are going to actually um, suffer quite a lot down the road here if we continue
1: to get this erosion in sentiment. How do you see this playing out? I, I have a lot of sympathy for that. I, I think you know what is interesting here is when we look at the volatility, we look at the VIX, which has risen, but we've not seen that traditional big spike higher uh, in, in the VIX that you typically see with this sort of you know sort of more sort of relentless sort of downward sort of move in the equity market. So that is definitely definitely a different pattern of behaviour around. It's more of a, it's a sort of sort of sustained sideways range for the VIX rather than anything else. And you haven't seen that type of spike action. I, I do agree. It, it, to me, this doesn't. I never. Sort of was, was not in the market through nineteen 1972, sort of 74, but I, I was through the dot-pump sort of 2000, the tech, tech bubble bursting, and, and through sort of 2007, 2009. And this to me is a very different environment in the equity market to those environments. And I think that is, as I said, I think until we start to see signs of the VIX, and maybe we've seen a little bit of signs of it starting to pick up a little bit now with terms of the move we've seen over the last few weeks, but at the moment, until we see signs of the VIX starting to break out of its range, I, I think unfortunately that, that relentless grind lower is probably. the theme that continues for the time being.
0: David, real pleasure catching up. Thanks so much for walking us uh, through the charts this morning. Uh, David uh, Sneddon, uh, Managing Director, Investment Banking, Global Head of Technical Analysis at Credit Suisse. Uh, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss and Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng will today hold an unprecedented meeting with the country's fiscal watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility. Government sources have dismissed suggestions that it's an emergency meeting. According to the BBC, the focus for the meeting will be the fallout from the Chancellor's mini budget, which outlined a series of tax cuts and has sparked days of turmoil. In financial markets. And just remember the backdrop to this. The OBR is um, responsible often for costing uh, some of the fiscal ambitions the government has. And this time round, the Chancellor went before the OBR's uh, detailed costing was ready to be published alongside the Chancellor's budget here, which is why the Chancellor's had a lot of criticism for the timing or the rushed release of that budget so it's fascinating that there is now going to be this meeting apparently the uh, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester telling our US colleagues that the Bank of England's decision to step in to calm financial markets has created a challenging situation
4: they have an inflation problem just the way we do and they have a monetary policy um, path that they have put out there of what they plan to do including raising interest rates on the other hand the markets um, weren't functioning yesterday. So for financial stability reasons and for market functioning reasons, they had to go in and buy bonds. That looked a little bit incoherent because they were buying bonds at the same time they're talking about raising interest rates. That's a challenge for all central banks is how do you try to span both of those goals.
0: BlackRock reportedly threatened to halt trading in certain liability-driven investment funds during the peak of the gilt market turmoil this week. The world's largest asset manager told clients on Wednesday that it would freeze at-risk funds and convert the assets to cash, according to a memo seen by the Financial Times. BlackRock says it has not halted trade in gilts or any of its funds. Um, all sorts of ramifications, obviously, I mean, this is a bit like a spider's web story, isn't it? That you get a little tremble on one part of the spider's web and other parts of the spider's web react. I'm not sure if that's a great analogy, but um, ultimately there is an interconnectedness in this story, which streams down from quasi kwa budget, and we are only now beginning to see the ramifications. And... Of course, we constantly see stress testing of the banks and that tells us that the banks are in good shape to manage some of this financial dysfunction, as it's been described. But what we don't necessarily always get is clear analysis of which other organisations are going to be impacted downstream by these decisions. And we've just had a very swift lesson in what the implications are for the pension fund industry and for some of the brokers and some of the other companies that participate in the allocation of assets into gilt products and um, liability matching. So I think it's very interesting as we continue to watch now the backfill going on and these meetings with the OBR and pension fund managers and so on and so forth, investors should look very closely at who's participating and what they're saying because it may give you a sense of where some of the potential weakness is in the connections between organisations.
3: Uh, to me it was a wake-up call around leverage in the financial system and not typically the place, place you would look for it. I mean, we talk about leverage in terms of all sorts of der- derivatives positions and it's not typically the long end where you try to protect long-tail liabilities. You think that there's going to be a wake-up call around leverage. But we've just come out of an extraordinary era of cheap money where all sorts of uh, participants Took on much more risk than perhaps they should have. And I think we saw that wake-up call really hitting home in the gilt market, hitting pension funds and players uh, in and around those pension schemes. So it is, um, I think, quite a stunning turn of events because it says that if it can can happen there, it can happen elsewhere. And I think now, as we circle back to the events early in the week and intervention by central banks, we have a point where the Fed is it going to be uh, effectively taken off course by another event here, and that is market instability. At this point, it's pushing back and saying there's nothing to see here, and you know, we're not quite at the time that we had back in the financial crisis, and there have been a lot of levers pulled, a lot of new mechanisms put in place to uh, prevent any instability. But I think we're seeing that, uh, as you say, the spiderweb just been shaken up a little bit at this point. So it does provide some cause for concern out there. And the question is, what happens from here? Central banks keep on hiking, not just the Fed, of course, but other central banks, like that domino effect we've seen in recent months. What happens to the financial system? Is it as secure as we think it is?
0: Are you really surprised or are you just saying that? I mean, look, for 14 years since the last financial crisis, We've had the equivalent of financial cocaine heaped on the global economy and the financial industry which effectively got bailed out of a hole that had been created back in 2008 doesn't appear to have learned a whole lot of lessons. In fact you've just had another generation of financial industry participants who've seen the opportunity to take advantage of very low interest rates to go out and further their careers by taking punts on, um, you know, uh, new, f- new financial assets that have, that have come into the marketplace here. Uh, you know, whether, whether we're talking about um, uh, the, the, do- the um, cryptocurrency space, yeah, the space or, or the SPACs mm. or, I mean, quite frankly, you should run a thousand miles to get away from uh, anybody that starts telling you that you should uh, participate in financial innovation. Because, by and large, every cycle, when we have this kind of hubris and this kind of financial creativity, it tells us that there's fundamentally something wrong with the pricing of money. I'm not surprised that there's this leverage hiding in the system. And I don't think you are really, because um, it was you're a bit younger market. than me, but you've seen a, a few cycles as well. That's and you've I'm seen exactly the same hubris. And every time they tell us, oh, it's different this time. Mm. But in fact, all they've been doing is looking in the wrong place, because the regulators have been fighting the problems that emerged in the last financial crisis, which we know was about banks that took on too much leverage around um, derivatives products, CDOs and so on and so forth that were related to securitization of the property market. Well this time the property market is going to suffer but it may be a slow release of gas rather than the explosion we had in 08. But you know there'll be another part of the market which is going to have serious problems. But, but, and maybe what we've just learned is that's the Treasury market.
3: Yeah, but as you know, I the mean, gilt market this is or, not the spiciest part of the markets. So as you look at the 30-year and you talk about pension funds and what they're doing, it's, it's not the area that's the most exciting element. And the whole idea is that you're protecting long-term assets. You're paying out uh, money from pensions for people over the course of uh, their latter years in life. It's not a spicy end of the market. But for it to be the one that was rattled at this point, I think that was the part that surprised me. You'd expect to have seen it elsewhere. What happens from here, though, I think is going to be interesting. I mean, do we just get more central bank interventions? It wasn't, of course, just the Bank of England. There's been a bunch of other central banks, particularly across Asia, now concerned about the strength of the US dollar. Do we continue to climb? on dollar trades from here into year-end and if so what does that mean for the earnings profile we've already had some uh, red flags from companies about the impact on their earnings because of the strength in dollar Uh, what do we do with that from here and is there going to be more pain on markets as a result
0: every financial crisis sees the little financial devil go and (laughs) hunt out the soundest balance sheets to wreck Mm. and the soundest balance sheets probably are within the pension fund industry at the moment. Those insurance companies that have huge pools of effectively dead capital waiting to be drawn down by people as they leave the workforce and go into retirement. It's perhaps no surprise, we should have a look around and see where those other um, pools of capital are, where those sound balance sheets are, because ultimately they always get attacked as markets go into a financial funk. Yeah. Fascinating.
3: Let's um, just circle back to the market activity too. I mean, if you think about the pattern now that we've got on markets, what we've dropped so aggressively now, we're in bear market territory. Where do we go on bear market territory for the rest of the year? And does that mean we get any central bank change in language, which of course is now the source of... A lot of the pain I think on markets.
0: It depends how much pain there is. They, yeah. they will blink, they always blink it just depends how bad it gets before they blink at this point um, and will it be a permanent bear market from here in? I don't know, there's always a bounce at some stage even if people like to draw straight lines on charts. Still to come, Chinese markets slump heading into the start of the golden week holiday as manufacturing data points to a mixed picture in the world's second-largest economy. We'll have more on that story in just a moment.
3: And for more on the turmoil-hitting global markets, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast.
0: Welcome back everybody. We've got a week session on Asian markets this hour. This as Chinese factory activity returned to growth territory in September. According to the country's statistics bureau, however, other data painted a downbeat picture with the private Chai manufacturing survey falling by more than expected and the services sector continuing to struggle. Let's get out to Sam who's got more on this story. So, further weakness here, but we have this week, Sam, seen some important announcements, I think, from the PBOC and the authorities about how much support they are prepared to give the economy and the currency
2: Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. We've heard a number of lines from the PBOC certainly chiming in, as we have seen that uh, Chinese currency, of course, uh, falling to those uh, record lows this week. Of course, we did see that uh, crossing around that 7.26 mark against the dollar when it came to the onshore currency. It's been trading at uh, 14-year lows against the greenback, uh, really trading at around GFC level. So we have seen uh, a number of uh, lines, as I said, coming from the PBOC to try to uh, stem the speed of that depreciation because of course there has been some suggestion that perhaps they are tolerating a little bit of weakness in the currency at the moment because those exports uh, aren't looking so bright as they have been but of course it is as I say the, pit, the pace of those declines that they seem to be uncomfortable with at the moment. Right now we've got that onshore actually it's firmed up once again today going at 7.10.10 10, offshore going at 7.10.06 uh, the moment. But as far as that data was concerned, of course, this was the first glimpse of the September data with those PMI numbers. As you said, Jeff, a pretty mixed read, you could say. We got the official numbers actually coming in above expectations so that was a reading of 50.1 so jumping into expansion territory now so that came after two months of a contraction of course and uh, when you look at the Caixin uh, manufacturing PMI that actually came in below those expectations we got a reading of 48.1 and that was put largely down uh, to COVID so uh, what we've seen is that perhaps this is further evidence of the uneven recovery that we are seeing playing out over in China because we've got a remember that these surveys, uh, they do uh, have different sample coverages. They do have different periods of time in which these companies are surveyed. But what this sort of suggests to us uh, is that the bigger and state-owned firms are managing to hold up better than the smaller and private firms at the moment. We saw, of course, just very quickly, the services sector activity actually slowing as well. We'll get a read on how the private and smaller firms uh, are holding up uh, after the National Day holiday as they break